This podcast is brought to you by Pastor Evan Havens and Faith Christian Family Church of Lubbock, Texas. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com. Good evening. Hope you're all doing good. Hope you're all dry. Hope you're all warm. We're going to do things a little bit differently today. Usually we start with tithes and offerings. I'm going to throw you a curveball, and we're not going to start with that tonight. We're going to get right into the message. But before we do, we're going to be looking through the Word of God, going lots of different places, New Testament, Old Testament. And so if you don't have a Bible with you, you're going to want to look on with that. So just raise your hand up, and our ushers will get you a Bible if you need to look on one. Just put your hand up. While they're bringing those down, if you are a first-time guest, if today is your first time at Faith Christian Family Church, you are our VIP So make sure you grab this yellow card in the pocket right in front of you. Fill that out, and then if you'll bring it to the information center right out these doors after service, the ladies there have a gift for you. Just our way of saying thank you for coming tonight. And if you're a regular, make sure you fill out your blue connection card so that we can keep track of what's going on in your life. We'd love to pray over these on a weekly basis. We'll go ahead and turn in your Bibles to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 16. 1 Corinthians 16. While you're turning there, I feel the Lord directing me to talk to you on a subject today that can be touchy for a lot of people. I think that this subject is going to apply to each and every one of us in this room. There's going to be something that you can glean from the Word of God that you can apply directly to your life starting as soon as you walk out these doors. But I need to challenge you to open up your heart and to let the Lord speak to you from His Word the Holy Spirit says he is the revealer of truth. So let the Holy Spirit reveal the truth to you. And that subject that we're going to talk about is finances. Some people are cringing a little bit already. So the title of the message tonight is, Whose Is It Anyway? And we're going to talk about God's plan for your finances. So why in the world would we talk about finances in church? First of all, In the Bible, there are over 2,300 verses that talk about money, wealth, or possessions. 2,300. That makes finances the second most mentioned topic in the entire Bible, and the very first is God himself. So this is obviously important to God. 15% of all of the teachings of Jesus while he was on the earth mention the topic about money, possessions, and wealth. And 11 out of his 39 parables that he taught are about money or possession. Taking it and making it personal to us, according to marriage.com, finances are the second highest reason cited for divorces. And the first is infidelity. According to CBS News, finances are the leading cause of stress in the United States. Many of us, myself included, experience financial stress, whether you've experienced it in the past, maybe you're in a season right now experiencing financial stress, or there will be things that come up in the future financially that make it hard on us. Two more things. One, finances are a crucial part of every one of our lives. It applies to all of us. And lastly, in the book of Luke, Jesus himself said that for the love of money is the root of all evil. Now, a lot of people misquote that verse, and they say that the Bible says money is the root of all evil. That is absolutely false. Money is a tool. Like we said earlier, the Bible mentions money, and it's the most mentioned topic besides God himself, but it's the love of money. 
It's when we get our eyes off of Jesus and put it on our money. It's when we look to money as our source. It's where we look to money as our provider. That's when it becomes the root of all evil. I want to tell you a little bit of a story about myself and my financial journey. Uh, I've been married for six and a half years, and my wife and I have owned a home for six years. The things that I'm going to tell you, I want you to know that I am bragging on God. And I hope that you hear my heart through all of this. I want to show you how good God is in the area of your finances, okay? So when I, in 2008, long time ago, I wanted to bless my family with Christmas gifts. Now, if you don't know my family, it is very large. There are nine siblings. And so at Christmas time, now we've got wives and kids. I mean, this, it's big. And so at Christmas, we've always just drawn names. I can't buy a gift for all my siblings, so we draw names and we get them, like, one person a gift. Well, one year, I thought I should get all of my siblings a gift, my parents a gift. I just wanted to be a blessing. And my heart really was good. I, I wanted to be a blessing to people, and I wanted to show my family that I loved them. And so I took my credit card that I had just got. I, you, you see where this is going? I'm trying to think how old I was. Uh, 20, I was 20 years old in 2008. So Christmas comes around, I buy all these gifts on credit card, I bring them over to my family, I give them. The joy of picking those gifts out was incredible. Just thinking of each one of my siblings and picking out a gift for them, and then letting them open them and seeing their faces, it was wonderful. Well, after Christmas, the credit card bill came in. And I quickly realized that the decision I made may not have been a very wise one, because I couldn't afford to pay the whole credit card bill. And so then, you know what happens, it accrues a balance, and then if you don't pay it off in that month, then they start charging you interest. Well, they gave a 20-year-old a credit card, so you can imagine what the interest rate was. And so I'm paying on these Christmas gifts long after Christmas, and I hated it. I literally hated when that credit card bill would come and I was paying the minimum payments, and interest was piling up on the credit card, and I was paying more for the Christmas gifts than they were actually worth. By this time, my siblings all probably forgot about the Christmas gifts. The joy I had experienced was over, and I'm left with this credit card debt. And I grew in that moment to hate credit card debt, and I made a decision that I, I was working at the time, and I was going to school, and I made a decision, you know what, I'm going to get out of this, and I'm not going back. During that time, I was dating my wife, and her father paid $100 for her and I to go to a Financial Peace University class and they taught it right here in the church. This was in 2010. And in 2010, my wife and I, like I said, we were just dating, but we went to this class and we got so much wisdom from the man who puts on the class, his name is Dave Ramsey, and the lady from the church that taught it. And we learned how to budget, and we learned how to stay out of debt, and we learned how to live below our means so that we were ready when things came up. And through that class and through the weeks that I was in it, the Lord changed my life forever. I got out of the credit card debt, and I never went back. I haven't been in credit card debt since that Christmas gift episode. Not only that, but the Lord has blessed us in my family so much that we've been a single-income family home for three and a half years. We still are debt-free except our house. And it's all the Lord. It's what He's done. It's the wisdom that He gave me. And I tell my father-in-law all the time, Thank you so much for that $100 investment because that $100 investment that you poured into me, 
that gave me the financial wisdom and the biblical financial knowledge that I have has given a, a harvest of thousands and thousands of dollars saved because of the wisdom that I had. And so my goal tonight is to show you through the word, we're gonna look at scripture, it's not gonna be my opinion or anybody else's opinion, I'm gonna show you in scripture God's plan for your finances and I hope you'll open up your heart and receive it. So before we get into God's plan, we need to settle something and that's the question that asks the beginning. Whose is it? Our money. We call it our money. We say we work for it. We call it our family, our clothes, our car, our house. But whose is it? I told you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Let's go there now. 1 Corinthians 16 verse 19, it says, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. So whose are you? You are God's. You are not your own. You were paid for by someone else. You were created by someone else, and you belong to someone else. You belong to God. You are his. But what about the things that we have? I mean, you can say of your money, I worked to earn it. I work hard for my living. I provide for my family. But look at Deuteronomy chapter 8. Deuteronomy way back in the Old Testament. Deuteronomy chapter 8. We're going to verse 18. It says, You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is to this day. So sure, you can say that you work hard for your money, and all of us do, but it's God who even gives you the ability to get that money. And so whose is our money? Let's look at the book of Psalms, right in the middle of the Bible. Psalm chapter 24, we're going to the very first verse. Psalm 24, one says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, and the world and those who dwell therein. You know what that means? The earth is God's and everything in it and everyone in it. We are God's. Everything on this earth is God's. The things that we say belong to us actually belong to God. It's all his. And you know what? This puts a lot of pressure off of us. How many of you have ever thought, I have to be the protector of my children? When I'm out of town, I sometimes worry about my children. I worry what's going to happen to them when they're driving in the car with somebody else. But you know what? Ultimately, I'm not even the protector of my children. You know, my dad told me a story yesterday. I was talking with him about this, and he said that he was going on a trip one time, and he was praying. He said, Lord, protect my family while I'm out of town. And the Lord spoke back to him and said, who do you think protects them while you're in town? See, it's all God. We are God's. So in order to answer the question of whose it is, we have to answer this question, and that's, do you have an owner mindset or do you have a steward mindset? See, if you have an owner mindset, you say, I am the owner of what is mine. I'm the owner of my finances. I'm the owner of my property, my car, my family. I own what's mine. But if you have a steward mindset, the word steward simply means one who looks after another's property. So if you're a steward, then you are simply caring for what is God's. 
And I think it's so amazing that he gives us that privilege, that he allows us and entrusts us with what is his, whether it's money or whether it's our children or whether it's the things that we own or whether it's our body, and he entrusts us with them and says, now be a good steward, be a good caretaker of what is mine. You see, if you think about, well, let me ask this. How many of you in this room have at one point in your life rented a home and at one point in your life have owned a home? You've done both at one point. I'm in that category. Okay, there's a bunch of you. When you are a renter, if something goes wrong in your home, what do you do? You call the landlord. The air conditioner breaks and you call him. Excuse me, the air conditioner is broken. I need you to come fix it. And if you have a good landlord, they send somebody to come fix it quickly and they get you back on your feet. If you have a leak in the concrete, if the whole thing blows up, it's really it's the landlord's responsibility to fix it and to care for it. You're just a steward of his property. But if you're an owner of your home, if you pay a mortgage, what happens if the air conditioner breaks? You fix it. What happens if there's a slab leak? You probably pay people to come fix it for you. What happens if the house blows up? Hopefully you have insurance, but ultimately it's your responsibility because you're the owner. There's so much stress that you can take off of yourself if you'll begin to see yourself as you truly are. You're a steward of what is God's. Your finances are not your own. You're not the owner of them. Your children are not your own. You're not the owner. Your body's not your own. You're not the owner. You're a steward of the Lord's property. And so when something comes up in your life, Lord, I, I just lost my job. Could you fix it? Because it's all his, and it's his responsibility to fix it. Now, it's our responsibility to be obedient to what he's called us to do, but ultimately we place it in his hands. And so much stress can be taken out of your life and off of your shoulders if you'll begin to see yourself as a steward. So all of us are stewards. The question is, am I a good steward or a bad steward? And we're going to look at that in just a little bit. So when I took this job, I became the associate pastor of the church in January 2018. So it's been about a year and a half. And the Lord opened up doors for me. And for some, I've gone to this church for 14 years, and for some reason I've always wanted to work here. I know that they have staff meetings every Tuesday. And even, you know, I've been on the worship team for years, and I was like, I just want to be a fly on the wall of the staff meeting. I want to know what they're like. And I, I don't know why. I've just always wanted to work here. And so... The Lord opened up doors and he like laid the path out and it was clear that he wanted me at this job. Everything about it screamed, God is placing me here. The problem was my wife, we already had one of our kids and we had felt the Lord call my wife and I for her to stay at home. Now everybody, that's not for everybody, but the Lord had told us that my wife was to stay home with our kids. And so we were single income family, like I said earlier. Well, to take this job, I had to take a pretty significant pay cut. But the Lord told me, this is what I have for you. And so I didn't hesitate because he's the owner of all that I am. He's the owner of all that I have anyways. And if he tells me to take this job, then he's going to provide for me. And that was my mindset. You know, there's this like cliche that people say, and it sounds goofy, but it's, if it's the Lord's will, then it's his bill. And that was my mindset going in. I don't think we're going to have enough money, but it's you, God. And you told me to do it, so I'm doing it. And since I got this job, I cannot tell you how he has blessed 
and how he has provided for my family. My wife still doesn't work. We're still a single income family, but he has provided supernaturally. There was one point where we were out of money and we still had some month left. And I know we've all been in that situation. And I prayed, Lord, I don't know what to do. I need more money. There's still more things I need to pay for. And a few days later, this check comes in the mail for almost $700. And it was because we had paid too much on our house taxes last year. I didn't, like, you just put the house taxes in with your mortgage. You don't even think about it. So we got this check in the mail. When my son was born, the medical bill was $5,000 out of our pocket. We had made too much money to, have, to be able to get financial assistance, but I felt the Lord direct me to do it anyway. He said, fill out the application. So I said, well, it's not going to work, but I'll do it. And so I filled out the application, and the hospital sent back a letter and said, we're completely wiping out the bill. So I owed $0 for my wife and $0 for my son. See, he was guiding me and directing me, and he was providing. My wife needed a van because her car wasn't... It was running down, it wasn't running well, and she was ready to take the plunge into momhood. She's like, mom of two, I'm ready, minivan. It's so, her mommobile. And we knew that that was what the Lord wanted for us, but we knew we couldn't afford a car payment. And so we took my wife's car, it was worth about $3,000, and getting a $3,000 minivan, we felt like that wasn't a good decision for us because it probably wouldn't run as good. So. Right before we were ready to sell my wife's car, we had this big hail storm, and we were at my parents' house, so we didn't have a garage, and hail pelted my wife's car. So we call the insurance adjuster, they come out and look at it, and they say, you know what, you're close, but we're not gonna total the car. We're gonna give you a check for $3,500. We're like, oh my gosh, thank you. And so we get that check, and then we turn around and take her car and trade it in for another $3,000. So somehow, and again, the Lord did it, my wife's $3,000 car earned us $6,500. And it was like all throughout this time, he's just telling us, see, I called you to step out and you were obedient and I'm gonna provide. It's my responsibility to provide for you. It's not yours. And I, can't, I, had, I don't have financial stress because I've put it in the hands of the owner and I'm just a steward. So what is God's plan for your finances? Well, there's three parts. The first one is that he wants you to be an obedient servant. The second thing he wants you to do is to be a good steward. And the third one is my favorite. And you have to come back next week to hear it. It's gonna be a secret. So number one, be an obedient servant. So what does that mean for us? In our finances to be an obedient servant, put it point blankly, that means tithe. So we've all heard Malachi 3.10. By the way, the word tithe sounds like this big fancy word. It literally means one-tenth. To tithe means to bring one-tenth of everything that you make to the house of the Lord. And I'm going to show you a scripture for that in just a second. Turn to Malachi 3.10 in your Bible, by the way. Most of us have heard this scripture maybe even hundreds of times. And it says to bring your full tithe into the storehouse so that there's food in my house. And then the Lord says that he's going to pour out a blessing for you. And most translations say it like this, that there shall not be room enough to contain it. Anytime I've heard that verse, I've always got the picture of like me standing with this big old basket and the money's coming down and it's filling the basket and it's overflowing and I'm like, yes, lottery. Or you guys ever seen that cartoon that had Scrooge the Duck in it? And at the beginning, he always jumped in his money and he was swimming in his gold. 
That's what I get the picture of, that there's, I don't have any room to contain what God's giving me. And while that is an amazing thought, if you look at the original Hebrew writing of this scripture, it has a different connotation. And I wanna show that to you because I think this is important. So that entire phrase in quotations, that there shall not be room enough, that whole phrase is only one Hebrew word. And the way you pronounce that word is day. And the word day in Hebrew simply means sufficient or it means enough. And so I think that the ESV version translate this particular passage the best that I've seen. And I want to read it to you out of the ESV. Malachi 3 verse 10, it says, bring the full tithe into the storehouse. By the way, you get the language here? This is a command. He is telling us what to do with the first tenth of the money that he's entrusted to us. That there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open up the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. You see, it makes it a little bit different. The blessing that is attached to tithing is a blessing of provision. When you obey God and when you give him his 10% back, when you bring it into the house of God, a blessing is attached and it's a blessing of provision. He will provide for you. You will not have need. Now, does that mean that nothing will ever come up in our life? No, but it does mean that the owner is gonna provide for you. So why does God tell us to tithe? Many of us have different ideas about this. Most people think that the Lord tells people to tithe because he needs our money. That could not be further from the truth. God doesn't need your money. Look at Psalm chapter 50. Psalm chapter 50, and we're going to go to verse 10. I absolutely love this passage. Here's what it says. For every beast of the field of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills, and all that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world and its fullness are mine. And this is a very strong language coming from the Lord. He says, if I were hungry, I wouldn't tell you. Basically, he's saying, I don't need your money. I own the cattle on a thousand hills. I know everything. I own everything. It's all mine. If he doesn't need our money, then why does he tell us to tithe? Well, think of Genesis chapter 22, and that's the story of Abraham and Isaac. And if you remember, the Lord commands Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac. And he says to lay him on the altar and slay him and, and kill him as a burnt offering to me. Well, you know the ending of that story, right before Abraham kills Isaac, the angel of the Lord stops him. And God says, I wanted to know that you were all in, basically. You see, God doesn't want your money, just like he didn't want Isaac's life to be taken. What he wanted in that moment was Abraham's heart. And it's the same for us. He doesn't need your money. He wants your heart. And you know, the Bible says that the love of money is the root of all evil. It's extremely hard to love something when you're giving it to God. You're not holding on to it for yourself. You're putting it in the hands of the owner. It's the first step in becoming a great steward of what the Lord has entrusted to you. That's not, Malachi is not the only place that the Lord talks about the tithe. There's other places as well. 
Before we see those other scriptures, people have often said that, that the tithe, the first 10% is God's and then the rest is mine. But that's not true either. Because we've already found out from the scripture that everything is God's. See, I need you to think about it this way. Instead of thinking the first 10% is God's, the rest is mine, think of it that you are the steward of all of God's resources. He just tells you exactly what to do with the first 10%. And the next 90%, you have some say in, but ultimately it is God's. So people give several reasons for not tithing, and I want to show some of these to you and show you why they aren't good reasons to not tithe. First one, people say, well, I don't live under the law. I live under grace. But tithing was not part of the law. Abraham was the first one to tithe long before the law. And tithing is written in the New Testament, through the Old Testament, the prophets. It's not part of the law. People say, that's Old Testament. I live under the New Testament. Well, Matthew 23, 23, that's New Testament. Jesus himself says not to neglect the tithe. People say, well, I give to other things or I give to other ministries or I give to other people instead. But God, again, he tells us exactly what to do with the first 10%. He says to bring it into my house. People say, I can't afford to tithe or they say, I don't make enough money to tithe. Can I tell you something and be point blank? You can't afford not to tithe. See, obedience should never be circumstantial. If the Lord commands you to bring the first 10% of your income into the house of God, then you can't afford to say, well, I will whenever, because obedience isn't circumstantial. The Bible says that obedience is better than sacrifice. People said, oh, the pastor just wants my money. That's why they're always talking about that. Remember, everything is the Lord's. At the church, we serve God. This is God's house, and he is the one that provides for everything that goes on in this place and all the ministries, it is not you and it's not your tithe and it's not me and it's not my tithe. See, just like God doesn't need our money, he wants our heart. As pastors, anytime we get up here and talk about tithing, the reason we do it is because I wholeheartedly believe that you're not fully obedient to God unless you obey this command. And I want your whole life to be blessed when you're obedient. People say, I'm afraid to tithe. The Bible says God's not given us a spirit of fear. And he also, in Malachi 3.10, the only place in all of Scripture, he says, test me in this. Try me. See if I won't provide for you. He, does, he, he gives us an open invitation. Don't be afraid. Try it. See what I'll do. And then the last reason people give is that they say, I'll give if I have any left at the end of the month. But you know what? Whenever Cain did that, Adam and Eve's sons, Cain and Abel. The Bible says that Abel brought the best of his crops. He brought the first, where Cain just brought some of his crops. And the Bible says that the Lord looked favorably upon Abel's offering, but not Cain's. He rejected Cain's offering. Because it's not the leftovers that we give as our tithe. It's the first. And we have a lot of ways to give at the church here, and a lot of those are online or through texting and for myself, I like text to give. It takes a little while to set up at first, but anytime I get paid, I pull out my phone and I text and, it, and I've given. I've given my tithe. I've brought my tithe into the house of God. And it's the first thing that comes out. It's my first priority. Let's look at the rest of Malachi 3. or Let's look at the verse above and below verse 10 anyways. 
Verse 9 says, you are cursed for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. And then verse 11, I love this part, it says, I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. You see, there it is, there's that promise of provision. But if we don't tithe, the way he started in verse nine, we are cursed because we've robbed from God and we've taken what is rightfully his. Romans chapter 11. And again, there's other places in scripture that talk specifically about tithing and this is one of them. Romans chapter 11 in the New Testament, verse 16. It says, if the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so the whole lump is holy. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. If you'll give your tithe, if you'll bring your tithe into the storehouse, that's the first fruits. And then the Bible says that the rest of it will be blessed. If you get the root, the first part, the thing that must take place first, if you'll get that planted, then the branches are blessed as well. And look one more place in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. Just a few books over to your left. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. This is part of the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus was teaching. And it says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. All these things, when he says that, the context, he was talking about clothing and food. He was talking about how he clothes the flowers of the field and he feeds the birds of the air. So why should we worry about clothing and food? Basically, why should you worry about your daily needs? But it says, in order to have those things added to you, you've got to seek first the kingdom. And the best way that we can seek first his kingdom is to obey his command to bring the first fruit everything that we make into the storehouse of God. See, I didn't start off my Christian walk being a tither. Actually, I never even heard of it until I was 22 or 21, somewhere in that area. And I went to the very first partnership class that we had here at the church. And at the end, you like, do these check boxes, for those of you that have done it recently, and you, one of the check boxes is do you regularly tithe to Faith Christian Family Church? And I checked no. My reasoning behind not tithing was I said to myself, you know what, I give any time the Lord puts it on my heart. So I don't need to tithe. I just do what the, you know, the Lord puts on my heart. But the problem with that thinking that I had was that the Bible already told me to tithe. The Word of God had already told me, so I didn't have to put it on my heart, it's right here. And Pastor Matt approached me as a young college student, and he said, hey, I noticed that you checked on your box that you don't tithe. I want to talk to you about that and ask you why. And so he walked me through scripture. He walked me through all the places that it says in the Bible to tithe and why we should. And I heard the Lord say to me through Pastor Matt, it's time for you to start obeying. And I did. And since that conversation, I've tithed as far as I can remember, I hope I haven't missed any, but I've tithed every, every dime that I've made, I've given a tenth to the Lord. I have been provided for, and like I told you stories earlier, the Lord has provided for me supernaturally on so many occasions. I'm gonna share more of them with you next week, how the Lord has put money and put vehicles in, in front of me, 
And it's the favor of God, and it comes because of the obedience of God. When you obey God, and when you honor him as the owner, and you are a good steward, and when he says to bring that first 10% into the storehouse, and you obey, there's a blessing of provision, and he rebukes the devourer for your sake. So if you haven't tithed, if that's not something that's part of your life, and if one of those excuses that we listed, if that is, is what you have said, or those words have come out of your mouth, I challenge you, just like Jesus or God said in Malachi, test me on this. Obey God and watch how he changes and moves in your life. So the first thing that we have to do for, to walk in God's financial plan for our lives is to be an obedient servant. We need to tithe. The second thing is to be a good steward. And I want you to turn to the book of Matthew, chapter 25. So again, like I said earlier, we're all stewards. He's the owner, but we're all stewards. Question is, are you a good steward or are you a bad steward? A steward simply means one who cares for the property of another. And in Matthew 25, verse 14, Jesus tells this parable and he says, For it will be like a man going on a journey who calls his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one. Now when it says talents here, it is not talking about the ability to play basketball or sing or dance. Not talking about those talents. Back in this time, the talent was a unit of weight that they used to weigh silver or gold. Usually the talent was a talent of silver. And so we'll take that, silver's not as valuable as gold. But most people have thought, man, that five-talent guy, he's real lucky, but the one-talent, poor guy, he didn't get much. Actually, a talent of silver was equal to 10,000 denarii. One denarii is equal to a working man's wages for an entire day. That means that a talent would have equaled if you worked six days a week, all year long, took no vacations ever, that would be 32 years of work from the time that you were 18 years old all the way up until you were 50. That's one talent. So even this man that received one talent, the owner allowed him to steward a lot of money. Let's look on to verse 16. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug it in the ground, and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of the house of those servants came and settled accounts with them. By the way, one day, we will all have to settle accounts with God. How we stewarded all of the resources, not just the money, but how we stewarded everything that he's entrusted to us. Verse 20. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I have made five talents more. So his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant, or good and faithful steward. You have been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also had the two talents came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents, and I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also had received the one talent, came forward, saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. 
I never thought about this before I started studying it, but this servant was so deceived about the character of his master. See, the Lord God that we serve is a God who is infinitely full of love. He's slow to anger, abounding in love. He's compassionate. The master is not a hard man. He also says that he sowed where he doesn't reap. But the Lord already said, everything is mine. How could he sow where he doesn't, or reap where he doesn't sow if he sowed everything, he created everything. This servant didn't understand the character or the nature of his master. And I hope that tonight you understand the character and the nature of your master because he's a good God and he's a good owner and he's worthy of our love and of our gratitude. So number, verse 26, but his master answered him, you wicked and slothful or lazy servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown, gathered where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For to everyone who has will be given more. And he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast this worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be much weeping and gnashing of teeth. See, one of my favorite pastors is, is pastor in Dallas, his name is Robert Morris, and he said this. He said, it's God's love for you that restrains you from blessing you if you are a bad steward. And even this verse that we just read, it says that he gave to each of his servants according to their abilities. Now you may be thinking, well, I'm just the one talent servant. But whatever category you're in right now, whatever your faithfulness level right now, you don't have to stay in that category. You see, the Lord can bless you with more whenever you prove to be a faithful and a good steward. Whenever you steward the resources that he has given you well, whenever you're a good steward of the owner's money, of the owner's family, of the owner's body, then he can bless you with more. And he can pour into you and he can give you care over more because you've proven yourself to be a good steward. We're going to talk more about this next week, and I hope you'll come back. We'll finish up talking about stewardship and being a good steward, and then we'll finish with my favorite part of all of this, our mystery point. Thank you for listening today. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com.